figure in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth. With FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today's January 6th. Whether it's National Insurrection Day, National Entrapment Day, or somewhere in between, wherever you are, we're glad to have you here with us. We're on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. You could be joining us on Twitter, at amradpod, on my Twitter page, at RealSteveFriend, or at Garrett's, at GobActual. If you're over there, why don't you hop on over to Rumble, join the chat where it's been very lively. They were celebrating the music for the show, saying that it motivated them to do the chores, motivates me to run wind sprints on the beach with Carl Weathers, just like the video shows. I think it's really, really gets me amped up. And I have good reason to be amped up today. Uh, we're calling the show Injustice. We're going to be talking about some of the examples uh, that we're seeing in recent times of the federal government, which may have drove the sentiment that motivated people to go to the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, maybe they engage in activities that were not right. But uh, you can maybe understand where they were coming from after some of the stories we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to get there. I'm going to bring on Garrett O'Boyle to join me today in this conversation and this journey. Uh, it's it's an exciting day. Uh, it's they're, they're going to say it's a somber three-year anniversary of the insurrection, the sedition, the coup, whatever they want to call it. Uh, but it's an exciting day for you, sir, because you make your premiere on the silver screen. Are you pumped up for that? Um, yes. I don't know. It's just so weird, man. I, you know, I tell people all the time, like this, this bizarre existence that we live in. And even some people in the chat, you know, I'll, they message me on Twitter or whatever. And either last night or this morning, I was messaging with somebody and I just was like, yeah, this bizarre life, this bizarre path we've been on. I never would have expected it. Never would have wanted it. Um, and you know, I, typically most of my life have kind of kept to myself and here I am send me as it were. And yeah, so onto the silver screen next, I suppose. As a result of that, uh, you're going to have an IMDB page, uh, which is very <laughs> exciting. Uh, I mean, I had the opportunity to be in the Dinesh D'Souza slash Dan Bajino film police state last year. You and I went to the movie premiere. Um, and then you and I are both going to be in the movie that is premiering tonight, which is what I was alluding to, folks. The, the Epoch Times is dropping tonight. I think it's at 8 or 8.30 Eastern. I have to get the exact time on it. They are dropping part two of a film related to January 6th. We want to make sure that we give you an opportunity now to see the preview for that. Uh, and then we'll get into the, the topics at hand. Uh, here's the preview. Calling the January 6th investigation the biggest investigation in FBI history. There are more than 1,100 arrests, and they show no signs of, of slowing down. When you take an oath, you have to abide by it. They're just going to identify you on video, arrest you, and then figure out what the evidence is after that. Those involved must be held accountable. He's an innocent man, and he has been punished for something that he never did. Every day you wake up and you're like, how did I get out of bed today? You have to stay away from the word patriot now because that's a uh, terrorist organization. We interviewed two whistleblowers from the FBI. I sacrificed my dream job to share this information with the American people. That siege was criminal behavior, plain and simple, and it's behavior that we, the FBI, view as domestic terrorism. We started with death threats, uh, the hate mail. I don't care what they do to me, but I do care what they do to my family. Our family struggles every day. And it's going to change narratives no matter what your political perspective is. There you have it. This is going to be part two of the uh, of the the movie series that uh, the Epoch Times has hammered down on. Uh, Joe Hanneman's become a friend of yours and mine. Uh, he's been all over this the last three years. That guy has he's actually one of the few that's had the opportunity to watch some of the surveillance footage. Uh, he's traveled around the country doing lots of interviews. Came to my house. Came to yours. 
and uh, he's he, he's the the gentleman that you see speaking at the very end of that preview. So excited to see that tonight, see the finished product. I haven't had a chance to pre-screen it, so I'll be just like everybody else in the public in the in the chat there. Make sure you get a chance to watch that. Eight thirty Eastern is the premiere time, uh, and I think it'll be worth your time. It'll be time well spent. Uh, and I want to stay actually on Joe Hanneman when we get into our first topic today as, we're, as it pertains to injustice, uh, and it pertains to actually to January 6th. We're not going to be heavy on the January 6th stuff today. I just think, wanted to make sure that we touched on that, that movie movie uh, premiere, movie preview, and then this story that Joe Hanneman put out last night and published. Uh, so that'll be our first topic today. Uh, let's Let's get right to it as I pull it up. Exclusive. After shooting Ashley Babbitt, Capitol Police Lieutenant made false radio report, which was alleged in a lawsuit by Ashley Babbitt's husband, who was suing, I believe, for about $30 million. Uh, and uh, from within this piece, it's about Lieutenant Byrd, who is the uh, the Capitol Police officer who, who shot, fatally shot Ashley Babbitt that day. Within a minute after firing the fatal bullet that struck Ashley Babbitt on January 6, 2021, U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd broadcast a radio report claiming shots were being fired at him in the speaker's lobby, and he was prepared to fire back. It is not clear why Mr. Byrd made the statement that he was taking fire and was prepared to fire back. His radio dispatch occurred up to a minute after he fired on Miss Babbitt. In his only public statements about the shooting, made not to investigators, but to an NBC television anchor, Mr. Byrd never mentioned his radio dispatch or his claim that shots were being fired at him, and other officers, nor did he use that as justification for firing his weapon and killing Miss Babbitt. Um, I also want to make sure that I mention that he's no longer a lieutenant with the uh, the Capitol Police. Garrett, he is now a captain. He's actually been promoted subsequently. Oh, to how this. about that? Just promote the murderer. How, there we go. That's that's a that's a new all time low for police agencies across the country. Um, you know, it, you said reading from the piece that it isn't entirely clear. Uh, why he made that radio traffic. Oh, but it is clear to anybody who knows anything about getting in a deadly force scenario. He knew he screwed up and then he was trying to cover his tracks. That's precisely what happened here. And, and, and it's finally coming out like, Oh, all the radio traffic is stored by dispatch. Great. So at least they have that, but it's, uh, it's really interesting. Like if you think of that whole day, January 6th, you know, we've said it before. It's not, it's not a good day. It's not a day to be celebrated. Uh, but the justice that should be doled out to anybody who may have committed a crime should be equal and fair, not not like what we've seen. And in this particular instance, Ashley Babbitt is killed by a man with a gun, but he's a law enforcement officer. And none of the protesters or insurrectionists or whatever you want to call them uh, had guns. So I don't think it can even legally or uh from the dictionary be defined as a legitimate insurrection if the people aren't armed and i know there were people who used some pepper spray and, and did there were people who did things that they should be arrested for I, I will say that i've said that all along uh even though steve and i both have been tried to get smeared as january 6th conspiracy theorists i assure you we are not especially with our experience uh as fbi agents getting to see a lot of the footage and investigate some of this stuff but um, it's interesting that someone like a, a law enforcement officer like this, they know they know that to use deadly force, you have you have to meet that justification. And we've talked about the Department of Justice's um, policy on when you can use deadly force. And basically, it's when you have a reasonable belief that you or, or someone else is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. And so this guy you know, pops around off, kills Ashley Babbitt, and then thinks, oh, I didn't meet that threshold. I better try to act as if I did. So let me put out some phony radio traffic to, to try to cover it up. And I, I, I'm going on about this a little bit because somebody on Twitter said to me that, okay, as a former police officer, you should know that this is no big deal. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because as a former police officer, as a former FBI agent, as a former SWAT uh, FBI agent, as a former infantryman in the army with deployments overseas where I saw actual combat, it is a big deal to put um, false radio traffic out there because when you tell people that you're taking fire or you think you're taking fire or you're about to take fire, 
and you know that you are not, you are lying. And this is another violation of your oath to lie like that about something that you did or didn't do or are about to do. And that's what Lieutenant, now Captain Bird, uh, has been doing all along. The fake radio traffic to me, uh, I don't even know if this is a term, maybe I'm coining it here. It, it doesn't show premeditation, it shows post-meditation. Right. He's engaged in this shooting. If he has the wherewithal to key up his mic and to not say shots fired, officer involved shooting, uh, that that show, to me shows that there's a, an attempt to sort of cover up what it is. He might have actually thought he was taking fire and he might have been prepared to respond with fire. That's not something you would you would actually put on the radio. You'd say we're taking fire. The, right. It's implied that you were prepared to because you have a gun and a badge and you've sworn an oath to, to be a police officer at that point. Uh, I, I am very interested in, in the lack of an actual investigation, hence because they didn't tape off the area. It's an officer involved shooting, uh, whether or not it's justified or not you need to do a thorough investigation, cordon off the area, collect evidence, do the whole nine yards. Uh, where was the civil rights investigation from the standpoint of the FBI? I mean, they, they sent officers out to investigate uh, Derek Chauvin for George Floyd. And, and he, look, if you want to draw uh, an apple to apple comparison, you could say, oh, Ashley Babbitt was committing crimes that day. Well, you could say that George Floyd was committing crimes that day. Yeah. That doesn't deprive either one of them of civil rights, and there mm -hmm. was no subsequent investigation. Same thing went for Michael Brown yep. in Ferguson. The FBI and the DOJ sent resources out there. There was a reason that there were actual FBI agents in the courtroom the day that Chauvin's verdict was read. He was not leaving that courtroom that day a free man. If he had been acquitted, the FBI was going to execute a warrant for his arrest immediately and bring him into federal custody. Right. Uh, but again, it's picking where you want to apply that civil rights investigation. And clearly here, the, even the Capitol Police didn't do a baseline investigation after a, an officer-involved shooting, uh, despite the despite what happened that day and in the, in the, in the, all, the, all the foot traffic and, and everything that they were distracted by. That is a requirement if you are involved in law enforcement and they failed to do it. Yep, for sure. And I, I guess along that same line of taking fire or whatever, like, okay, is it reasonable that maybe he thought there was gunfire in the building or thought he may have heard gunfire? Sure. I think, I think we could assume that potentially he heard things that he thought were gunfire. That's very different than actually taking fire. And I, I'm speaking from my personal experience here, like in Afghanistan or on a SWAT op or whatever, like it's very different if you think you hear gunfire somewhere in your vicinity versus, oh, I'm actually getting shot at. Mm. And so he says, I'm taking fire. Well, that's very different than I I thought. I, I thought there might have been gunfire going on in the vicinity of the Capitol. And and that's how, how some people are trying to like pitch this too. Like, oh, well, yeah, he might have thought that he heard gunfire. Okay, that's different than saying I'm taking fire and now I shot somebody. Uh, I, I think you're dead on about it being post-meditated. Like I I think of this too, bad training. How how often in your career have you been told, keep your finger off the trigger unless you're ready to fire? And I think a lot of law enforcement, military, they they get complacent and their their trigger finger ends up floating into, into the trigger well. And I wonder if even that is part of what happened here. And he's pointing his gun through that window and he's got his finger too close to the trigger or on the trigger and then pow. And then, oh crap. Uh, I better put out some radio traffic within the next minute to try to CYA. And, but, but like you said about Chauvin or, or Ashley Babbitt, or you could, we could point, I mean, we could pull up countless incidents of this. If someone is committing a crime that doesn't give you the authority to violate, for you to commit a crime, to take them into custody or to use force on them or whatever. And it's like, so like two wrongs don't make a right here. And actually I would say law enforcement needs to be held to an even higher standard. Like you need to be the one who's in more restraint. It's just like um, if, if a police officer is driving down the road and you flip them off or you yell F you or F the police or whatever, they can't then come and arrest you for disorderly conduct. But a lot of them try to, and a lot of them do. And it's like, no, that you are supposed to be above that. And so you're arresting somebody for their first amendment right at that point, because you took, you know, you took an affront to, to them not liking the police or whatever. And it's like, well, you're held to a higher standard for a reason. Yeah, that that meets the uh, the threshold. We used to call it POP. Well, what did you arrest him for? POP, pissing off the police. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Civil rights be damned at that point. Yeah, he angered yeah. me. Uh, it's like, yeah, what did you arrest him for? I don't know. I'm going to pull out the statute book and take a look and find something. And it's like, that's not how it's supposed to go. That sounds like the uh, task force in Washington field office working on January 6th. At this it sure does. Yep. Yeah.
And speaking of our, our counterparts at the FBI, um, we'll come off of January 6th, though, to where I want to spend the lion's share of today's show. And we're talking about injustice. And this is a, uh, a, a story by Trevor Aronson, who wrote The Terror Factory. Uh, he's been drilling down on what the FBI has been doing for decades within the, the counterterrorism national security sphere and something that, that Garrett and I have talked about over the last year about this, this mission creep that's happened where they're essentially looking for vulnerable people to entrap in these plots uh, and then employ whatever tools that they're at their fingertips, be it a an informant, a confidential human source, an undercover, and essentially hatch a plot and then hand it over to the person and then charge them with uh, some sort of terrorist or conspiracy to commit some sort of terrorist activity. Uh, and this one was interesting because it's more new age than we traditionally get from uh, the early 2000s, at least, where uh, it was in person meeting with them. Uh, now, because we're in this digital age, it's, an, it's uh, entirely online for a lot of, and, but it, it is actually, it's very fruitful for organizations like the FBI, and in this case, the FBI and the NYPD. Uh, to use the internet because they can find more vulnerable people and never actually have to leave the the cubicle that they're working from. Uh, and we'll bring this story up and uh, I'm going to read from it. It's very lengthy. We're, so we'll we'll pull out some excerpts and then discuss it as we go. But Trevor Aronson at The Intercept, the story is called Catfished by Cops. Uh, and uh, I'll leave that there uh, for a moment so you guys can get a get a, a view of what, what it looks like and then you'll have to uh, to pull it up in your own it's worth your time it is a long story it's very much in the, the vein of like a matt taibbi michael michael schellenberger uh thousands of words uh but it, it is heavy on the details and yep. it's absolutely worth your time and then there's links in there actually to other stories that that trevor uh, has that because he did his research i communicated with trevor on Twitter through some DMs, invited him to actually come on and talk about. He unfortunately he's traveling today. He said he'd be willing to come on. And he's somebody of the political left, so he's not afraid to, to come and and talk to to this audience and, and to us. We, Garrett and I, de definitely are, are more on the conservative side of things. Uh, but he also in, intimated to me that he has another similar story that will be coming out soon, and he will be happy to join us and discuss that in the near future. Yeah, I'll second what Steve said here. Like, if if you're at all interested in the FBI stuff, FBI related news and information, like this is essentially a must read. Uh, I would say his TED talk is also like a must watch, which if you go onto YouTube and type in, you know, Trevor Aronson TED talk, like I'm stunned at how low the views are on that because it's, it, I think it's like essential if you're dealing with the FBI or concerned about the direction the FBI is taking. And this catfish by cops is, it's a fantastic piece and as Steve mentioned, Trevor is he's he'll fully admit he's on the left. And and Steve and I, we definitely lean conservative um, in our our history in law enforcement. Many would probably think, well, how could these guys see eye to eye on anything? And I bet you, uh, well, we're, we're about to talk about this catfish by cops. And you'll see that we the stars will align here in a lot of ways from guys like Steve and I who have done the work and have seen work like this done to somebody like Trevor, who's been investigating it for a long time. All right. So first segment, just as an intro to this story, it was May 20, 2020. Uh, so now uh, three and a half years ago at the height of the pandemic, when the FBI SWAT team had raided the house of Jason Fong shared with his parents in Orange County, California, Fong, a 24 year old Chinese American who until recently had been a U.S. Marine Corps reservist sat handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser outside. Uh, since February 2020, when the NYPD first introduced an undercover employee to Fong in a private group chat, the FBI had been secretly monitoring his online activity. Fong's supposed chat group friends included at least two government agents, one from the NYPD, another from the FBI. Following the backyard interrogation, the Justice Department charged Fong with four counts of providing material support to terrorists, alleging he shared in the group chat military training documents he'd found online. First segment for us is done. Garrett, uh, we've talked uh, about a couple of different stories here. This has all the hallmarks of the, the same sort of entrapment case that we see consistently on the national security side. Um, there's a little bit of flavor here. Uh, obviously, he's a, uh, a military member at that point as a reservist. He was active and Chinese-American, which is 
a little bit unusual. They're, they're normally nowadays going after the the evil white supremacist, but <laughs> early two thousands were were the Muslim Americans who who tend to be Middle Eastern um, persuasion, and then. The final uh, part that I, I touched down on where the Justice Department charged him with four counts of providing material support. Uh, I think that's an interesting conversation to have because material support, what constitutes material support? Is it money? Is it advice? And it's in, from this standpoint, from Mr. Fong's, he provided documents that were online. Right, that they, they could go find themselves. So it's like, okay, so when I read it, I, I thought about it this way. So you or me or anybody in the live chat or anybody hearing this in the future from the ether, you can go on Amazon right now and you can buy a Ranger handbook. You can buy FM, all the field manuals or the vast majority of field manuals for the military. You can go on there and buy. So in infantry related tactics, you know, special forces related information, medical related information. They're all public and open source. So what say we just charge Jeff Bezos and all of Amazon for providing material support to terrorists? Because I bet you if the FBI subpoenaed anybody who's ever uh, purchased those type of, of books or manuals or information on Amazon, I bet you you'll start coming across some interesting accounts or some interesting locales that they were shipped to. So does that mean, oh, okay, time to charge material support on all these people because they're going to do it to Mr. Fong. So why don't we do it to everybody then? This, this story reminds me, uh, I had a, as a beat cop, I had a, a arrestee, you know, it was a crackhead who was just on the street. I forget standard, even what he was arrested for. Standard arrestee. Yeah. <laughs> but he had the pipe, right? So it's drug paraphernalia. And I remember it, he gave me the best answer ever. It was the most just on point. And uh, you know, he was basically, I was like, hey, like, this is drug paraphernalia. And he's like, well, why don't you go to the gas station where I got it from where, where they sell them? Because they're obviously selling drug paraphernalia. And I was like, Man, you got me there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the 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 gas station or whatever the the pipe shop or whatever they'll say, well, yeah, we but we have a sticker on the when you check out that says not you know only for tobacco use. And it's like <laughs> it's like come on, everybody knows the scam here. We know what's going on. Yeah, it's like back when when marijuana was you know illegal. Uh, the papers you know, people yeah. would buy what they called them like zigzags, zigzags or something like. That. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, I roll my own cigarettes. I like, guess yeah, sure you do. Me too. Uh, so, so back to the, uh, the, the Arison story here, uh, another sec second section of it, uh, as a Sergeant. So he was a Marine Corps reservist Sergeant. He applied multiple times to join the ranks of the counterintelligence officers. He didn't get the jobs because of background check concerns. He was told for some undisclosed reason, I could not actually be qualified for the job. Uh, he, uh, he, he got denied, denied, denied multiple times. The Marines appeared to want Fong where he was fixing drones. He was diagnosed with autism. Fong has an impressive knack for languages. He grew up speaking English and Mandarin Chinese, and he began learning Russian on his own time while in the Marines with the help of a pen pal in a predominantly Muslim region of Tartarstan. He'd visited it there in 2017 to practice his Russian and see the country. And to this day, he wonders whether that actually compromised his military background checks. Uh, my big takeaway there is this guy had some language proficiency, which was uh, obviously an asset that wasn't being taken advantage of by the, the Marine Corps Reserve. But uh, I definitely paused when I read diagnosed with autism. So right. if anybody who knows people on the spectrum, they tend to have it's, you know, it's movie Rain Man, right? They might have just almost superhuman abilities one way or another. And obviously that was applied to him with with language, um, tend to be obsessive about one thing or another. But uh definitely a vulnerable person. Yep. So that part too, for me stood out because this isn't the only example we can point to in open source that you can find uh, where the FBI targeted somebody like this, who was on the spectrum or, or had some type of other ailment going on. And this is just such a common part of the playbook. And think of this too, because I'm, again, I swear every week I get, I get, more and more frustrated with the quote, good and men, good men and women of the FBI. Because if you knowingly target someone with autism, instead of intervening in a different way to make sure that they're not going to actually provide legitimate material support to ISIS or some, or some other group, like you're not a good person, plain and simple. And look, I won't go in the rabbit hole of quote unquote, good people from like a biblical worldview. Okay. That's for probably an entirely different podcast on its own, but you're, you're not a good law enforcement officer. 
you're not upholding your oath again. If you if you say, oh man, I found out this guy has autism. Oh, well, whatever. I'm going to push the case forward anyways, because I have to, because I need the stats, because I need the caseload, because I need whatever, fill in the blank to make my supervisor happy so they can get their bonus. So the SAC can have his, his gold or green check mark on his IPM at the end of the year. So he can, you know, get uh, promoted again and go through the turnstile back at WFO or at, at headquarters. So I'm going to do it. It's unacceptable. And we see it all the time. Back to the story. He uh, he was pretty depressed, actually, about his his lot in life. He wasn't really getting where he was career-wise. Uh, so he started spending a lot of time on social media, which is always the, you know, oh, this is how you become radicalized, right? You start going on social media and connecting with people. Uh, and he got acquainted with people from the Boogaloo movement, uh, which that kind of brings us to the January 6th. The Boog. Oh. Uh, and actually, this is actually how Fong described them. Uh, he's they started as libertarian. They kind of degenerated into an anti-state anarchy. We had a lot of things in common, strong feelings about constitutional rights, firearms, especially free speech, fighting against tyranny. Seems like all First Amendment protective stuff to me. Uh, he was intrigued by Boogaloo, whose members he followed on Instagram, but he struggled to take them seriously. It just an online community of gun enthusiasts. I wouldn't really even describe them as an organized movement. Um, but anyone uh, who's who's watching here, and again, if you're watching us on on Rumble at Amrod Pod, uh, we appreciate you being here. Make sure you give us a follow and a like. If you happen to be listening on the audio podcast, uh, give us a uh, a five star review there on iTunes and Spotify and iHeart, all of them, and subscribe to the channel. Uh, the Boogaloo movement is connected to white supremacy, and which is obviously now connected to January 6th insurrection. Of course. And it's all connected, Steve, and it's the worst type of crime you'll ever see because you're a racist. Uh, and this is sort of where I, uh, this is something I, I want to dig into with Trevor because I don't know if he's connected the dots. He's a pretty smart guy, I, I'm, I'm, uh, but because of his political persuasions, I'm wondering if maybe he has a blind spot there, and I'd, I'd be happy to talk to him about it. Uh, this is where I got a little bit of, well, they were connecting military and pro firearms and then Boogaloo, and they hadn't uh, realized that he was a Chinese American. I think that they said, oh, white supremacy, white supremacy, because it's 2020 at that point. Mm -hmm. um, he's, the, then, he's the Asian face of white supremacy. Yeah, he's like that Turkish guy who had yeah. the Nazi flag, the yeah. brand new Nazi flag that he tried to crash the White House into. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so... Which that brings us to the next spot on this story here, where it, I think it, it, the narrative fell apart and they had to recoup something and then and justify having spent the time and the resources on this vicious white supremacist, uh, likely a MAGA voter, right? Uh, so Fong had been raised Chinese Christian, but he'd long been curious about Islam and he converted and began attending a mosque in Southern California. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. What about, wait, what about the white supremacy and the boogaloo? Now he's a <laughs> dude, this guy's this guy's touching all the dots that are like, you know, apropos for FBI JTTF work. So, yeah, you're now he's adapt and survive, right? Well, he's radical. We know he's radical. Uh we can't pin the the boogaloo white supremacy on him. Uh but maybe we'll just go old school and say yeah. that he's a radical is, Islamic terrorist, right? And and you know what? At the time, think of it, the time frame of this. This is probably even better. The SSA or whoever's going to be like perfect, change it over to a, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Turk code in, in the FBI. For those listening, there's there's a thing called Turk, which is time utilization and record keeping. It's how we track our work. And there's different uh, alphanumeric codes for the type of work you do. And so in this case, you would you would switch it from like a boogaloo would be a domestic terrorist alphanumeric code. In this case, it would be ISIS or Hamas or whatever. And they switch it over to that alphanumeric code. And that is going to get everybody in the management excited because that since 9-11, that's where the money comes from is, is are those Turk codes. So now they're like, oh, yes, let's go. Let's dig into this case. I'm sure that that's what happened. I mean, that would that would be a great thing to FOIA, but they would say, oh, national security classified. We can't tell you. Yep. I want to see if this thing got actually switched from domestic terrorist, uh, international terrorist. Yeah, but, uh, that's that would just be insider. We'll have uh, we'll ha we'll have to see if Trevor could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so Fong focuses energies on a new meme oriented Instagram page. So again, he's playing with memes, man. He's online, and he eventually birthed a new chat group on Signal. Fong, the administrator of this new chat group, called it the Mujahideen in America. He wanted the group's discussion to involve Islam, guns, and training. Again, I think those are all protected by our First Amendment. 
there so within this chat group though he started he they named a couple people there was daniel a russian speaker fong first met at a whatsapp group that he had that had fractured there was also james a teenager and recent convert to islam who shared fong's ironic sense of humor james had brought someone named musa into the group so we have daniel james and musa but daniel and musa weren't who they claimed to be daniel was working undercover for the nypd musa was an fbi informant known in the bureau's parlance as a confidential human source so we have a state undercover so nypd uh, and then we have a federal informant uh, we have all back to all the hallmarks of an, an fbi in terrorist entrapment scheme going on here and i read i raised an eyebrow at this point uh when i was reading it because i was like wait a second didn't they say earlier that Mr. Fong was in California? And they did. And so I thought, why is NYPD involved? Unless they're on like the JTTF as a TFO or whatever. But I don't think that that's the case. I think it was, I think he, he clarifies later that it was NYPD's like counterterrorism unit. And it's like, well, they don't have interstate authority, but here, here they are on, you know, as an online undercover uh, trying to infiltrate, well, not trying to, they did infiltrate it into this group and how was that helping keep the city of new york safe when mr fong is on the other side of the country in california that's a terrific transition to the next thing which is what trevor got into actually from this specifically um and uh and for those who don't know we are reading uh, from the intercept catfished by cops this is a trevor arison story it's a couple weeks old uh and it's the deep dive is necessary in this this man this there's a lot here and he just does a great job so uh, back to what we're talking about. What, why is NYPD looking at a guy in California? Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, Trevor drilled down on that. As the world moved online, so did sting operations. Instead of finding targets at mosques and engaging in conversations at coffee shops, counterterrorism agents now often pose as extremists online to lure in their targets. It's catfishing, but under the color of law. The FBI isn't the only agency trying to do catfish terrorists. Uh, the NYPD Counterterrorism and Intelligence Bureau, which earned a reputation as one of the most aggressive and wide-ranging law enforcement agencies post 9-11, has evolved from crawling mosques to crawling the internet. The NYPD's online activities are as much about capturing federal funding as they were about netting alleged terrorists. The department's Counterterrorism and Intelligence Bureau receives more than $160 million annually from the federal government most coming from Homeland Security. From the outside, Fong appeared to fit the profile that has long concerned the FBI counterterrorism officials, a U.S. military service member drifting towards extremism. Well, it and uh, oh, fi finishing up here, when the FBI first acknowledged this concern in 2009, who, uh, that was pretty early in the Obama administration, officials said they viewed military as a potential pipeline to far-right violent extremist groups. Mm, of course. So... I think that that's where it got me. This is something I'd, I'd love to talk to uh, to Trevor about. I, I think that they zeroed in on this guy because of his military background. Yep. I think that they thought that, well, we're going to get the far right guy and it'll further this narrative. It's 2020. It's, it's presidential year. And obviously the, the country had been undergoing a fair amount of uh, of unrest we'll call it civil unrest around the country and a lot of it was being attributed to far right groups like the boogaloo boys i think they connected that dot they hadn't quite connected that uh he was of chinese extraction because that's an inconvenient for the narrative and then being being as he was a, a convert to islam they they took that and they they were trying to square the circle here and say he's he's been radicalized by the military uh we can't really make that connection we'll just go traditional route say he's a radical muslim and then uh, and we'll introduce an undercover from the uh, from the fbi and or uh, the undercover from nypd and then the uh, the the undercover from uh from the 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 informant from the fbi uh and then we'll actually get into the way that they they tried to capture him and read back here says that the messages that Daniel, who was providing to the NYPD and Musa to the FBI, appear to suggest that Fong had an anti-government ideology, which, Garrett, can you think of 56 people had an anti-government ideology <laughs> that signed a declaration at some point? Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> the original <laughs> the original insurrectionists, as it were. <laughs> uh, so they took it. Uh, 
the intercept obtained one of the screenshots of the conversations or, or the statements of that uh that fong made uh language alerts folks um quoting from it fuck getting a gun registered fuck the government fuck president trump fuck the fed so the, the f president trump is pretty bad for the uh, radical far right narrative which is why i think they <laughs> drilled down heavily on the uh on the, he's just a radical muslim uh so that that was what he was saying again all first amendment protected activity yep the the fbi and nypd assumed that fong was somehow trying to aid extremists and terrorist groups then they were just trying to find the group right that assumption was bolstered in the government's view by documents that he shared with the group, including tactical instruction manuals that could be found online. He, Fong said, take it, save it, and study it. Fong sent various other documents he found online, including a tutorial on how to make bombs. He never specifically plotted or encountered violence, but Musa had previously told Fong in the chat that he aspired to join this group. Uh, it's kind of hard to pronounce. It's a Syrian group. And then he introduced the, in the group a man who claimed to be from this Syrian group to represent them. Oh, he's introducing somebody uh, from yeah. the alleged group. An another intro. Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we'll take it to uh, to the next level before we get there. And this is actually when the when the government arranged for the meeting. This is uh, the, 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 when, when Daniel, the NYPD undercover, flies out to California again. Why is the NYPD funding an undercover, an online undercover employee to fly from New York to California to meet with somebody he met? Why can't that be referred to LAPD? Um, it briefs well. Like, hey, we got to get that. We got to keep that 160 million a year funding that primarily comes from DHS that you talked about earlier. We got to keep that flowing, man. And like, like, okay, this is where, like, I get a little perturbed because we're not saying that the that the NYPD or the FBI or that any law enforcement agency agency shouldn't investigate terrorism. Okay. Like they should, because we should try to keep our nation safe. We're not going to be able to do it a hundred percent because we're, we're humans. And sometimes the bad guys come up with a good plan that works. And we have to be willing to accept uh, some of that to live in a quote unquote free society. That's becoming less free every day. But here's the thing. They are, they are inventing these terrorist scenarios. These aren't legitimate. They, they are almost always plotted by the government, whether it's the NYPD on one, on one hand or the FBI on another or DHS or whoever. More times than not, they are, they are fabricated by the government. Think of Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Fednapping hoax, which Steve, you had, you know, some firsthand experience with that. Um, think of this case that we're talking about right now with with mr fong um i th i think of one I, I think it was before i became an fbi agent i watched some series on netflix like called terrorism close calls well i have since gone back and looked open source into into more um a lot of those that the fbi were involved in and a lot of those it's the same playbook and then they drum it up into this giant you know terrorism plot to blow up the bridge in manhattan or you know some uh, the airport in dallas or or whatever and it's like these are nine times out of ten if not 99 times out of 100 fabricated by the government and, and the plots of these guys even if they are hatching something aren't sophisticated which just shows that they're unlikely to be able to carry it forward i mean you might have a plan well i'm going to go rob a bank but if you don't have the the intellectual means or the material means to do it like is is that really on the on the police to arrest you for it it'll be like a guy who's like oh, i want to go join isis so he was getting on a plane to like fly somewhere does he think that he's just gonna like show up at the airport and then isis is gonna be there and it'll be it'll be fine like it's not sophisticated it just kind of just shows you these vulnerable people right. um so, so this meeting that they actually wound up having so daniel is the undercover nypd employee flew to california and they have this conversation uh fong told daniel that he was interested in learning more about this group called malhama tactical it's a private military contractor that had been known as the blackwater of syria uh, and he goes on to tell so fong who's our vulnerable subject tells the daniel who's the nypd undercover that he really wants to go and fight uh, in ukraine on against russia it has no connection to going to syria or anything like that 
and then apparently, though, that was enough. They, they brought it back. He has intent to go engage in some sort of foreign fighting. And the next month, the FBI and local police arrived at Fong's parents' home where he lived. And the FBI agent asked Fong if he knew anyone who would express interest in joining a terrorist group. Fong said that he didn't. He also asked Fong if he'd ever met in person with anyone from the chat group. Fong claimed he didn't. And that's where they knew that they had him because now he'd lied to federal agents because he, he didn't want to rat out his buddy who we met, who came out there, who actually wasn't his buddy, who was a government agent. Right. But because of the way that's construed, like that's not entrapment. That's actually lying. Uh, and he was, he was, so he was subsequently arrested. This whole thing happened over only a couple months, which was kind of surprising to me that they, they normally they drag these things out yep. for years on end, but he winds up getting arrested in 2020. Uh, that he goes to trial and the trial you have to read about it. it it gets wild like they try to like let the informant hide his his appearance and then the whole room was supposed to be secret they didn't want the jury knowing though that it was secret and then randomly a person walked in the room and they had and it came out that it was secret because the judge was upset somebody walked in the room so they have a mistrial uh and then rather than retry the case this is what the doj does they offered him a deal <laughs> the prosecutors <laughs> would drop the material support if he pled guilty to a single count of making false statements to a federal agent, the old thousand and one charge, and he knew he couldn't beat the charge. So he agreed and he pled guilty, admitting to failed the snitch to the FBI on Musa, the bureau's own informant. In November, he was sentenced to three years and 10 months in prison. The net result of a four month partnership between the FBI and the NYPD to nab a young man in California who, as even as he admits, was guilty of increasingly common offense, being a jackass on the internet. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I mean, how often is that the true end of the scenario? It's a bunch of guys being a-holes on the internet in their private chat that they think is private, that has been infiltrated by an OCE, which the story talks about that. It's an online covert employee. And think of this, in the FBI, like you don't even have to be an FBI agent to be an OCE to be read in on that. And then you can be, you know, dropping into people's Facebook DMs uh, and, and billing the bureau for your time doing that when you're like at home laying in your bed and people do that type of thing. And it's, is it legit sometimes? Maybe, but like I said before, 99 times out of a hundred, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on it being a legitimate thing. And now you have this guy who's autistic. Let's not forget that he's autistic. And we're going to send him to the big house for three and a half years because he wouldn't take the plea deal because they had a mistrial. And the, the government continues to just push, 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 push. We see it all the time. You know, today, January 6th uh, anniversary, we, we could drum up a number of just examples from that day alone of, of the examples of, of the government doing this. And, you know, I guess no time like the present. I'll just plug this in right here coming from uh, Psalm 94, starting in verse 20. Honestly, the whole, psalm, the whole psalm is fantastic, but just at the end here it says, Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. And for me, it really, it's that first one. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? those who frame injustice by statute. And, you know, I think I might've talked about this before, but it just really resonates with me because, because of the injustice that we see from our own government. And, and look, I'm not saying like Mr. Fong is completely righteous. He's not, N none of us are. Does that mean we should send him to federal penitentiary for three and a half years because he agreed with his friends in a freaking signal chat that was infiltrated by the government? So he, they weren't really his friends. They were just trying to trap him into some type of criminal plot and, and label him a terrorist. That is framing injustice by statute. That's exactly what that is. It's injustice, which is what we're, we're drilling in on today. And this, this guy was just another one of these vulnerable guys that happened to, they, they happened to troll across the internet. They identified him and they facilitated everything uh, to get him ready to then just spring the trap on him. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't sign up to do that when I no. entered into law enforcement, you, right. you know, you, the people that are actively doing something wrong, um, this, but this is what happens, especially on the national security side. Uh, we're, we're really lucky. We live in a relatively safe country. Uh, but when you give more money and 
uh, more career opportunities and for advancement to people to give that them that they're going to find something to justify their existence. And, and obviously these guys found somebody in California who was nowhere close to their area of responsibility to then partner with the feds and justify the 160 million that they get every year. And then they got their man here and he's going to be going away to prison for, uh, for, for three plus years uh, because yep. he, he pled guilty, honestly. And, and this is something that we should probably even mention it, it's us code. It's 18 USC 1001. It's a call. We just call it the 1001 charge. Uh, it's lying to a federal agent. It has to be material in nature. It, you know, it can't just be you, you misspoke and said, well, I was wearing a black shirt when I was wearing a green shirt, but it has to be relevant to the investigation, which is always sort of uh, a setup because why, why was the investigation going on to begin with? It was a legitimate and righteous investigation. I think here, probably not, but they still said he lied as a result of that. And to lead with that, uh, they, they, it's always the fallback charge when right. all everything else is no good. It's like wire, wire fraud or mail fraud. It's this fallback last resort. We have to get this guy on something. Mm -hmm. uh, so they went with that. Uh, but I think for what's going on now more and more is because they know it's the fallback, they will just tack on a bunch of charges that they know are not going to pass muster and then include in that. And basically they're going in intending to charge a 18 USC 1001 lying to a federal agent and they're and they're, they're basically an intent to get that well we'll get him in prison it's a five-year maximum sentence he'll go to prison for some amount of time yep and that's again it's it's injustice you know psalm 94 says injustice by statute they're framing injustice by statute that's exactly what that is and i hate to say this but this is why my advice to anyone is don't talk to fbi agents because they're going to do this and i think of my time as an agent i hung 1001 out there a handful of times never intending to charge it because I thought that's BS. Of course, they're going to lie to me. When you're a cop, when you're in law enforcement, when you're an FBI agent, you have to assume that everyone is lying to you because most of the time they are. Does that mean we should try to send them to prison for a maximum of five years for only that charge, which is a throwaway charge? It's, a, it's an additional thing you tack on, but they're using this. They're doing a bait and switch here. We're going we're gonna to throw all this stuff at the wall. None of it's going to stick. We know none of it's going to stick. And then we'll get you on that 1001. Like, that, that's just wicked, man. It's not certainly not anything that I know you or I signed up to do. Uh, and and to, to cover more on this injustice aspect, this was, you know, obviously Trevor's story is about finding a vulnerable person uh, and, and pursuing them unjustly as a subject. There's another aspect to injustice, and that is when law enforcement fails to protect the victim from the predator, uh, which is going to bring us to the, the, the second story I want to give a little bit of, of air to today on the American Radicals podcast. Again, anybody joining us on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. You can uh, follow our Twitter account at amradpod. You can follow Garrett on social at gobactual and me at real. Steve friend, make sure you're giving us a smash the like button, folks, make sure you're following the show. Uh, we have a lot in store for this year. We were talking this week earlier offline about ideas that we have for the program. And we're not going to be about just covering the news of the day. Uh, we're talking about maybe doing a book study uh, about some of the, some of these issues, but I think everybody could always benefit from uh, people don't read these days. So <laughs> maybe bring that in. And then obviously uh, I have scheduled now three interviews with some high profile individuals. So we're going to be bringing those to you in the very near future. Uh, so we appreciate your time and, and sticking with us. We're on every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, noon Eastern live streamed on Rumble. Uh, the second story that I want is from The Blaze. And it is racial injustice, or I'm sorry, racial justice and equity equal death in George Floyd country. All right. Reading from this, this is consider the case of Meredith Martell. She was stabbed to death in her home last month by Jamel Hill Moore before a police officer shot and killed him. There will be no marches demanding justice for Meredith, nor will there be any political pressure to lock up the career criminals like Hill Moore before they strike again. But it's tragic fact, the same, the same Minnesota judge who sentenced former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin to 22 years in prison for Floyd's death stayed Hill Moore's two domestic violence convictions earlier in the summer, leaving him free to butcher Martell. 
So the same guy, we, we, we sort of talked about George Floyd in comparison to the, the civil rights investigation aspect when it came to investigating Captain Byrd from the U.S. Capitol for shooting Ashley Babbitt. Obviously, the Fed sent in guys to investigate Derek Chauvin on the same count. He was actually, though, convicted in the state court of, of homicide. I forget the, the actual count, what it was uh, pertained to, to killing George Floyd. But this particular judge who wound up sentencing Derek Chauvin uh, stayed, so uh, he uh, stopped the, uh, it's, it's, it's basically a court proceeding. Uh, and he did it in all in the name of equity and racial justice, uh, covering down on it a little more Hillmore, who was the subject here, who stabbed this woman. He was twice sentenced two times. He was sentenced separately to 21 months in prison, but in May, uh, judge Peter Cahill stayed the prison sentence and gave Hillmore three years of probation. A month later, another judge in Lyon County stayed the other 21-month sentence. So both of those, so he didn't have to go do time. He was sentenced to go basically report to prison. He didn't have to wind up doing that. Uh, this is a perfect perversion of justice based on the racial outcomes is what Cahill calls racial justice. And during a speech, this particular judge who sentenced Derek Chauvin to 22 years in prison, during a speech before the National Judicial College in October of 2022, Cahill asserted that every case should be about racial justice. Oh, gosh. Anytime you put a qualifier before justice, yep. it is by definition not justice. And, and just think so of this. Know. This is coming from a judge. This is, dude, this is, this is a wicked judge. This is a wicked judge. If you're, if that's how you're looking at these cases, you are wicked. And a judge is supposed to be the most reasonable person in the whole law enforcement world. You know, there's different parts of it. You got your cops, you've got your FBI agents, you've got your prosecuting attorneys on the state and federal level and all, and the, you know, the municipal, you got all these, all these things. And you got judges all along the way too, in various types of courts. They are supposed to be the most reasonable one, the most, the most uh, even tempered, the most willing to look at true justice and determine what is most proper here. And now you have a judge saying race that is, and now someone is dead because of that wickedness from that judge. You have to basically restate your argument you have to be able to restate your argument and, and to make it strongly. You can't just be to, to eliminate any chance of bias. You, I, I, that's what I always like. How can I restate this in a different way to, to see if I'm on point with maintaining justice? Right. Uh, stated differently, he said that you have to obviously look through racial justice on any, in every case. So by your logic, sir, uh, the color of your skin should dictate whether or not you go to prison. Yeah. That's I mean, a restatement of what you're asserting. Yeah. Are, are you willing to stand by it when it's stated that way? Uh, and if he is, then uh, I think that, that the, the way that this story closes out, and it's again from the Blaze media here. Uh, the story is called Racial Justice and Equity Equal Death in George Floyd County. And the way that it closes out is during his racially tinged speech, which is where he, he initially cited how everything needs to be viewed through this racial lens. Judge Cahill claimed he barely slept during the Chauvin trial from the stress of the national spotlight. He should be losing sleep over Meredith Martell. And what happens when he faces a divine judge who knows only justice, not racial perversion? Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a. Man, I got a little goosebumps on my arms at the end there. For real, that's, I mean, that's absolutely right. Um, as you were finishing up there, I thought of Isaiah 520. It says, woe to those who turn evil for good and good for evil. And it goes on and talks about bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's one of my one of my favorites. I feel like I've got a lot of favorites in Isaiah over the last few years. But it's like, dude, you're a judge. You're going to be held to account for this, for this evilness. You, This person's dead because you stayed your hand on true justice which goes to our title for the show this uh, on sat this Saturday, Injustice. That's exactly what this is. And um, in, in the story from the blaze, it has, it has lady justice on, on the, on the front, which is either outside or inside every courtroom in the country. And she wears the blindfold because it's supposed to be blind. And guess what that means? That means blind to the color of your skin too. And the scales in her hand are supposed to be balanced because it shouldn't matter if you're black or white or Middle Eastern or Asian or whatever. The law is the law. We hear it all the time, Steve. How often have you heard that the law must be applied no matter who? You know, they, they, I, I, Nancy Pelosi is ringing in my ears talking about <laughs> Trump. And it's like, 
it's like, okay, yeah, you people say these things like, oh, it's, it doesn't matter who it is that the, you know, law is blind and justice is, is going to be equally meted out across the board. But then we have countless examples of that not being the case. And in this instance, you have a judge saying, literally telling you it's not the case because all that matters to that judge is what somebody's race. And I bring up lady justice because when I was a cop, I got uh, a tattoo of lady justice on my forearm right there. I can't turn my arm so you can see it properly, but uh, it, I got the blindfolds on there and uh, her her face is a skull in, in the background. And my tattoo artist was like, oh, you know, like, oh, are you just doing that because you think it's cool? And I was like, no, it's because I think justice is, is decaying and it's fading away. And as someone in law enforcement, I need to be constantly reminded of that so I can do my little part for justice. And I'm not saying I got it right all the time. I'm sure I didn't. If you're in law enforcement, I don't care what level, a judge on down, you have to be doing your utmost every day in every single case to make sure that true justice is being meted out properly. And so when justice is fading away, just like when your skin fades away, what's beneath it? The skull. And guess what? That's disintegrating in this country too. The skull of justice as well. I mean, we have to make the obligatory movie reference, right? So it's with great power comes great responsibility from Spider-Man. Spider -Man. But, you know, when you work in the justice system, be it a judge or a beat cop, all the way, the whole full gambit, there's a lot of stakes there. You're dealing with people's freedom, um, and life for, for, for some people too, as well. Yeah. So you have to be cognizant of that. You can't afford to have an off day because if you have an off day, that will result in injustice yep and I, you know i it's weird this is another thing that i learned as i went uh through my career in, in law enforcing that not everybody thought like this but whether it was me about to write a ticket for underage drinking or if it was me about to try to indict somebody on the federal level for for some you know more egregious crime potentially i always thought is this the most just course of action to do can I just give them a warning? Can I go interview this person and intercede? And maybe, maybe they are, don't actually want to commit this crime or, you know, whatever the case may have been. And sometimes I wrote the ticket and sometimes I didn't. And sometimes I put the handcuffs on and sometimes I didn't. And again, like I said a moment ago, I, I'm sure I didn't always get it right, but it was always at the forefront of my mind. Like whether you're arresting them for that crack pipe or for, you know, being up past curfew, what is the best course of action to maintain liberty in this country? It isn't always taking it away from that person. And I know there are cops out there who their sole purpose is to just put handcuffs on people. For me, it was never that. It, it was to proper, properly meet out justice as best I could. That's well said, sir. To closing us in our final few minutes, I think now your sole purpose, though, is uh, selling merch, which <laughs> people can find at www the-dispendables.com. Be sure to give the store a visit. Uh, Garrett said he's running out of inventory here. The quicker he gets done with that, the quicker he can put out the new and creative stuff. Garrett's yes. a pretty creative guy. You can get your t-shirts there. You can get your hoodies, your hats, sticker packs, uh, lapel pins, all that. Uh, I'm going to an event later today, and I'm going to make sure that I plug that because I, I have to wear my lapel pin, and then people always ask me about that. And remember, people, Eagles Down. Eagle Down, yes. Eagle Down. It's the... It's an agency in distress, uh, and so we need to make sure that we're putting that message out there. Uh, another one we might want to make sure to remind folks, if you are in the market for some uh, some pillows, for some slippers, for some sheets, for some towels, uh, there's now a closeout overstock sale. You can get up to 80% off if you were to go to MyPillow.com. And if you do that, and uh, you have to enter the promo code AMRAD to take advantage of it. It's definitely worth your time. This is a great time of year. My neighbor actually works for UPS. And uh, it's one of these things that unless you work in the industry, you don't know it. And I kind of said to him, hey, I was like, you just can kind of decompress now, right? The holiday season's over. And he said, no, man, this is actually the busiest season because yeah. of all the returns that are going on. Uh-huh. I dropped off a box of merch uh, at the post office, I think just yesterday. Maybe it was the day before. Uh, so if you've ordered recently, you'll it'll it should be it should be to you soon. But um I, I've kind of gotten to know some of the employees there because I I'm in and out of there so much these days. And uh, he had a whole pile of like pre-packed, like, you know, if, if you're, if you got a Shopify store or whatever, like you print your labels at home and they have like an area where you just drop it off. And he was like, oh man, let me make some room for you. And he's like, yeah, we got about another month of like super busy 
uh, just after Christmas. And I was like, Oh dang, I didn't, I didn't realize it was, it was going to be that long, but, uh, but yeah, it's a busy season still for, yeah, at least another month for, for people running packages all over the country. It's a busy season and it's a busy Saturday. Uh, we appreciate everybody uh, joining us today on rumble. I want to make sure we acknowledge a couple of the rumble rants we had, uh, DSTS 2020, uh, because I love y'all, I owe you. People never talk to the feds. That's very, very well said. Uh, and then Kelly D, uh, another great show. Thank you. And thank you both. And thank you everyone for uh, for joining us today on a Saturday. We hope you have a great weekend. We're going to be back on Tuesday, noontime, same location on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. And uh, you can also pick up the, uh, the, the stream on the podcast format on iTunes and iHeart and Spotify, Podbean, all of those. Uh, we thank everybody for your time today. Enjoy the weekend and we'll see you again on Tuesday. You've been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod. Everybody.